Well, it's great to see you today. Glad that you're here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King. A couple of announcements as we get started. Um, CTK, you kind of do this to me every year. You know, we throw, we get ready to invite this big group of people, five, 6,000 people coming to Trunk Retreat, and we invite them all to come, and then we have nothing to give them. So here's the deal. I need you all to go and buy a big bag of candy, bring it here, and we'll give it away in Jesus' name, okay? That's how it works. Take your life in your hands. Go to Costco. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's fun, all right? Wednesday mornings, like 10 a.m., that's when you need to go, all right? Otherwise, you will die, okay? Um, but we need your help with candy, and uh, it's just going to be a great night. It's coming October the 31st. We'd love for you to get involved. Well, at, at CTK, we don't do, spend a lot of time looking backwards. In fact, we spend most of our times orienting ourselves forward. But last Sunday night, something happened here at CTK that I'm still trying to find a box to put inside. Maybe I'm not supposed to put it inside of a box. Maybe that'll actually spoil it. But last Sunday night, we had a worship night. It's the first one that we've had with Pastor Mike and Ryan and Layla, I mean, and just the group that came together. Between six and 700 people came into this place. And I'll tell you what, when a group of people come to specifically worship God in spirit and in truth, the Holy Spirit shows up and it's just amazing. I sat in that section with a couple of hundred crazy high school college students and they worshiped God with passion. And it was incredible. So I asked the tech guys, I said, can you put together like 60 seconds just so we can kind of get a taste of it so that the next time it rolls around, you will chisel the date in stone so you don't miss out on an incredible move of God. So let's take a look. We'll see what happened here uh, last Sunday night. Come and listen. Come and listen to what he's done. Come and listen. Come and listen. one of those nights, and uh, when we were done, my wife and I were sitting over here in the corner, we're slipping up the side, and this guy from our church, he's about 80 years old, and he stops me in the aisle, and he's got tears just pouring down his face, and he looks over this crowd of young people, and he goes, this is why I love this church. I mean, it was just awesome and fantastic. So, don't miss the next one. Don't miss the next one, because it was an incredible, incredible moment. All right, so I actually wasn't here last night. I recorded a message for Saturday night on video, because I was doing a wedding last night. So this is only my second time through, and the first time, it was a little interesting. So we're going to pray. I'm going to ask Jesus to help me, and then we're going to dive in. All right? Let's pray together. Father God, as we open your word right now, would you come and make clear what it is you want us to hear today? We want to focus on you. We want to hear from you today, God, and, and we want to be changed from the inside out. So, Lord, would you help us? Would you come? Would you hide your servant behind the cross? 
May we see Jesus and only Jesus in your precious name. Amen. So last week we started a brand new series called The End or Getting Ready for the End of the World. And we started with this assertion, okay? The assertion was this, that eschatology, the study of the end times, if you do eschatology without Jesus, all you end up with is information without transformation, okay? And we're not here to try and play Bible trivia. We're trying to dive into the deep truths of God, and we're going to be actually working in the Gospels for the next couple of weeks. We agreed together there were five common approaches to eschatology that we're just simply not going to use, okay? We're not going to use fear. We're not going to tell people to go buy a gas mask and dig a bunker in their backyard. We're not going to use superiority and make ourselves feel really good because we got a whole bunch of head knowledge. We're not going to deny the fact that Jesus is coming back because we actually believe he is coming back. We're not going to abdicate and we're not going to isolate. We're not going to buy land in the Sumas Hills and stockpile food like we did with the whole Y2K thing. Wasn't that a great piece of work right there? You know, remember that? We're not going to do any of that. Even though some of us have had some experience with these unhealthy approaches, instead we're going to use a healthy approach that we're going to embrace and use, and we summed it up in two words, loving urgency. If studying this stuff doesn't compel you to go and tell your neighbor about how Jesus saved your soul, if it doesn't make you do that, this is a glorious waste of time. And I don't want to waste your time. So we're going to dive in. Both feet, no fear. Here we go, all right? This week, we're going to talk about indicators. The world's full of indicators. I mean, I don't know whether you use them or not, but your car comes equipped with, tur- with turn indicators. You should use them, all right? Even if our neighbors to the north don't when they come down here, all right? You should use yours. Your check engine light comes on, and it's an indicator that you should do something, even though most of us ignore it or put black tape over top of it so we can't see it. That's healthy, right? A tickle in your throat could be an indicator of a coming cold. Some of us watch the stock market as an economic indicator, and we try to use it to dictate what direction we're going to go with our business. I've been married for 23 years, and my wife came equipped with eyebrow indicators, okay? And I've been figuring them out for 23 years, okay? When Laurel puts one eyebrow up and she smiles at me, that's a good day. That's a good day. I mean, being a husband in that moment, that's awesome. When both eyebrows go up, it means you need to really rethink the direction you're going with this communication or it's going to be a very long, cold night for you, okay? That's both eyebrows. When both eyebrows come down... It means you better be buying flowers on the way home, buddy, because this is not going to go well for you at all, okay? They're just indicators. There's all kinds of indicators happening right now with your body language. Some of you are sitting back, you're relaxed, it's good, we're just having a conversation. Other people like arms crossed, legs crossed, it's like, dude, you better bring it today, got to convince me, all right? All kinds of indicators that happen, but every one of the indicators does this. It sends a message that your life's about to change. And this week, we're going to open to Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to talk about the indicators that Jesus told us would indicate that his return is coming, that it's getting closer, that it's a good thing. Now, before we dive in, here's a key thought. I need you to get this, all right? Indicators are not panic buttons or alarm bells. Let's make sure we get that, all right? They're signals that wise people discern to chart a responsible course of action. So if you walk out of here today afraid, I will have failed. If you walk out of here, 
you know, feeling very puffed up because you know a lot of things. If you walk out of here denying that Jesus is coming back or deciding you're going to abdicate or, or move to Guam or something like, you know, whatever that happens to be, that would be a wrong indication to what God is going to be teaching us today. A healthy response to the indicators that we're going to discuss would be if you lovingly want to tell somebody about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Just so we're clear. The beginning of Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And where he's having the conversation is very important. He's doing it right outside of the temple in Jerusalem. The focal point of Jewish culture was the temple. We don't have a cultural equivalent to how a Jewish person would have looked at the temple, okay? Every good Jewish person would have died protecting the temple. They loved it. They saw it as the visible presence of God in their midst. And it was unbelievably important to them. You also need to know this. It was beautiful. The Bible tells us it was overlaid with gold. It was breathtaking to look at. And Jesus is standing outside having a conversation with his disciples, and he basically says this, this building is going to be devastated, and not one single stone is going, to, is going to actually end up being piled on top of each other. This thing is getting torn down. Now, if you were a good Jewish believing person at that time, you would have gone, oh, no, 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 no. No, not going to happen. We'll protect this thing with our life. It will always be here. Between 66 and 70 AD, the Roman general Vespian laid siege to the city of Jerusalem, one of the most horrific sieges in world history. 600,000 people died in that geographic area. And in AD 70, the Roman government ordered that Jerusalem was to be razed, and they burned the temple down. They burned it down. History tells us that the Romans, when they came back, they actually wanted to keep the temple together, but it got out of control when they came into Jerusalem. History tells us this is what happened. When they lit the temple on fire, the gold began to melt, and it actually flowed down into the cracks of the stones. Vespian and his troops took crowbar-like instruments and pried every single stone in that structure down so that they could harvest the gold and take it back to Rome with them. Everything that Jesus said would happen, did happen, even though it was unthinkable to the people that were listening to him. After Jesus makes this bold claim, the disciples press him for more information. How can we know the end is near? How do we know? What are the signs so we can be ready? Well, here are the indicators according to Jesus. I'm going to warn you on the front end, it's a little depressing. In fact, it's kind of a downer, all right? But we're going to turn the corner towards the end. The first indicator was deception. The Bible says in Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah and will deceive many. I want you to notice something here. Jesus is speaking to his apostles. He's speaking to his followers. Because we are an extension of that followership, he's speaking here to us and he warns us, make sure that nobody deceives you. Jesus is saying this, when the end gets closer, there's going to be deception. But don't fool yourself into thinking that the deception is going to be outside of the church. It's actually going to happen inside. That's scary. Deception inside the church comes in a lot of ways. We've got a really nice politically correct term for it. We call it tolerance. Tolerance. 
Tolerance happens when we water down the message and we don't have the courage to stand up and say, God loves that, but God hates that. That God believes that lifestyle is holy and righteous, but that lifestyle is not. And as a church, we get tempted to water it down and to believe in our hearts. Ah, we don't think God's really, really, really specific and and detailed when it comes to his actual truth. We think if you're good enough, you're going to make it into heaven. George Barna did some recent um, surveying inside of the church. This blew me away when I heard it. Of the people that he polled, 43% of believers believe that there is more than one way to God. Almost half. I don't know about you, but I read my Bible, I can't find that anywhere. My Bible says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody gets to come to my dad unless you go through me. My Bible says in Acts chapter 4, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved, and for clarity, that name is Jesus. It's deception. Jesus goes on, Matthew 24, verses 23 through 28. He says this, at that time, if anybody says to you, hey, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. That would be us. See, I've told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, don't go out there. Or here he is in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there's a carcass, there the vultures will gather. I love that last line. Basically means this. People love to exploit fear. And they love to step into a moment and say, you need a Messiah? I'll be your Messiah. Um, It's all good. Let's just call it good. One of the indicators of the end times is that many people are going to step forward claiming that they're a representative of God or that they're actually God himself. Now we think to ourselves, how in the world can people fall for this stuff? Like really? Somebody just shows up and says, I'm Jesus, and they're wearing a bathrobe and we're supposed to go, okay, you're the Messiah? I mean, I just typed some stuff into my computer this past week and you would be surprised how many people in this world actually claim to be Jesus. And here's the scary thing, people actually follow them. There's a guy in Florida right now, says he's Jesus, He's leaving soon, but the good news is he's got a spaceship hidden in the Everglades, and he's leaving right before the Mayan calendar expires. And all you need to do is pay 2000 bucks for a reservation on the spaceship, and you're good to go. Are you kidding me? Jesus says that kind of deception is going to continue, and he says to his people, don't be deceived. I mean, let me make it clear. There's only one Jesus, and some guy in the 21st century with a cute little parlor trick and a bathrobe, that is not him. Let me tell you this. When Jesus comes back, there will be no deception involved, and you will absolutely know it's him. Trust me. All right? Here's the next one. It's disaster. Matthew 24, 6 and 7. You will hear wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Underline those words. See to it you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation. The word there is ethnos versus ethnos. It's going to be important in just a moment. Kingdom against kingdom. 
There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pangs. Okay? So see to it you're not alarmed, but here's some indicators. One is war and rumors of wars. Since World War II, which was known as the war to end all wars, there have been 225 known conflicts. There are 41 known conflicts or wars happening in the world right now, and most of them are conflicts between ethnic groups. Did you hear me say the word ethnos? It's the word we get ethnic from. Ethnic group versus ethnic group. We've got a nice politically correct term for it. We call it ethnic cleansing. That's when ethnic groups try and exterminate each other to prove how superior they are. And Jesus said, that's going to pick up speed and you're going to hear more and more and more of that. He also talks about famine. According to the U.S. Drought Monitor, over 30% of the world is in a famine or experiencing increased food prices due to drought. That's up more than 20% in the last decade. I mean, this is reality for us. Over a billion people in this world are hungry. 41,000 people a day die in this world because they simply haven't got enough to eat. So do me a favor. When you go home today and open up your refrigerator, don't feel guilty, but say thank you to Jesus that he provided for you that way. Just be grateful, okay? This last one, the natural disaster one, is interesting. Because honestly, when I approach this stuff, I'm a bit of a skeptic. I mean, I'm like, you know, yeah, I don't know. And my question about this is this. Are there actually more natural disasters happening, or do we just hear about them more often? I mean, we've got more media, you got CNN, Fox News, I mean, all this stuff on the internet. Is it, do we just hear more about this stuff, or are they actually increasing? Okay? According to the Washington Profile and the National Center for Epidemiology, I had to practice that word six times, okay? Take that one home. National Center for Epidemiology, there were 1,500 natural disasters between 1973 and 1982. In the period between 1993 and 2002, there were over 6,000. Between 2002 today and today, there have been over 10,000. Picking up speed. Now remember, don't let it be an alarm bell. You know what that means? Let me tell you simply what it means. This created world is homesick for Jesus. They just miss Him and they want Him to come back. The world longs for its creator to come back and put it back the way that it was supposed to be. And every minute that goes by, we're one minute closer to that happening. Jesus just said it's just going to pick up speed as it gets closer. Thirdly, third indicator was death. Matthew 24, 9 says, Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. Here's what we need to know. The disciples, the apostles, the people who are actually hearing this message all of them were martyred for their faith. They all paid the ultimate price. According to Jesus, the response of the world to the message of God is going to be stronger than just a couple of furrowed eyebrows. Jesus says for some of them, the cost of following me is going to be their lives. Now, we spent an entire series of simple talking about the fact that we don't get persecution. We think persecution is when somebody looks at us funny when we pray at lunchtime in the lunchroom. We think persecution is when somebody disagrees with one of the opinions that we have and they say something about it. That's like, oh, I'm being persecuted. 
Let me remind you, in Acts chapter 4, persecuted meant you got whipped within an inch of your life, possibly killed or crucified. That's persecution. Here's what we need to know about this. There were more Christians martyred in the past century than in the previous 19 centuries combined. Do we get that? Over 45 million people have died simply for preaching and teaching Jesus. That means this. There are people around the world right now taking their life in their hands doing what I'm doing. Let's never ever take our freedom for granted. By the end of today, 480 people will die for the sake of Jesus because they were bold enough to speak his name in a country where it was illegal. And Jesus said it was going to happen more and more and more. Here's number four, it's denial. Denial. At that time, the Bible says, Matthew 24, at that time many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. All right, let's, let's just get into agreement over something. I've got to make sure we're all on the same page here. Can we agree together that the world is getting more wicked? I mean, can we just agree with that? If you don't agree with that, Go to Costco this afternoon, okay? <laughs> Just give it a shot and then come out and say, it's better. It's like Sesame Street in there. It's awesome, right? Okay? All right? So I needed you all to relax and laugh just a little bit because what I'm going to talk about next is not funny. Here's what we need to know about the world that we live in. In this country right now, one out of four girls and one out of six boys will be sexually molested before they turn 18. That's wicked. There are 1.3 rapes per minute in this country. That's wicked. 70% of the sexual crimes committed in this country are against children under the age of 17. That's wicked. Jesus said the world is wicked. And as that continues to grow, Jesus said that even some who claim to be followers of Jesus are going to get swallowed up in the darkness and they're going to turn their back on him. The cost of following Jesus is going to prove too much and their love is going to grow cold and evil will escalate. Some will deny, but don't miss the end of that verse because it also says this, the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I hate to completely discourage you today. It's not going to get better. The Bible says it's going to get worse. But here's the cool part. I've got a really good friend who's a pastor in Las Vegas. His name's Judd Wilhite. I remember asking Judd one time, dude, why Vegas? Why are you a pastor in Vegas? I will never forget his answer. He goes, Grant, in this much darkness, a little bit of light goes a really, really, really long way. It can get darker and darker and darker. You know what that means? It means the light of the people of God is going to get brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. Now, I know everything I've said so far is kind of discouraging. Some of you are like, I so should have stayed home this morning. 
I mean, thanks for the encouragement, Barnabas. Hell, I appreciate the help, right? There are a couple more indicators that Jesus talks about, and they are extremely good news. Here's the next one. It's distribution. As the darkness grows greater, Matthew 24, 14 says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Okay, here's what we need to know here, all right? I love this stuff. We just read the book of Acts, and we saw how the gospel began to spread. It was like somebody threw a pebble in the center of a very calm pond, and the ripples just began to go out, okay? So Jesus dies comes back to life, then he leaves, and this is what happens. In 42 AD, the apostle Mark preaches in Egypt. In 52 AD, Thomas preaches in India. In 174 AD, Christians are found as far away as Austria. In 197 AD, Tertullian reports that there are Christians in every level of society all across the northern part of northern Africa. In 432 AD, Patrick preaches the gospel in Ireland. Just so you know, St. Patrick's Day is not a day that celebrates painting your face green and getting wasted, okay? St. Patrick's Day is actually a celebration of one of the greatest missionaries in the world who had the courage to go to Ireland and talk about Jesus. So this year when St. Patrick's Day comes around and you're tempted to go do something evil, knock it off, realize that that holiday is about Jesus, and spread the message with somebody who's never heard it before. Can I get an amen, all right? In 740 AD, Irish missionaries reach Iceland. In 1384 AD, Wycliffe translates the Bible into English. In 1455, Gutenberg prints the first printed version of the Bible. In the early 1900s, the Welsh revivals break out and break out across Europe as hundreds of thousands of people are saved. In 1988, a group of 54 people in a little podunk town called Bellingham, Washington, decided that they were going to follow Jesus with as much passion as they could and talk to every single person they could about this incredible Savior. And today, over 6,000 people will worship Jesus in a Christ the King church in this county alone and worldwide. We have no idea how big it's gotten or how many people have heard because this gospel will be preached and distributed. You can't stop it, so why try? That's what it says. A lot of coffee. I'm really fired up. All right. So, I mean, this is what we need to know, people. Today in the world, in the next 24 hours, 80,000 people are going to accept Christ. That's the same population of this town. Every single day. Gospels going out over the radio, through the internet, over television, in friendships, in small groups, in gatherings, in celebration. It's going out. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, a group of crazy people from this church started a college ministry at the Majestic on Wednesday night. They called it Ecclesia. I wonder where that came from, right? Last week, just over 300 college students at 9.30 at night gathered into a former dance hall to worship Jesus, pray, and preach the gospel. It's just starting to move everywhere. That's good news. Bring all the bad stuff. That's good news because Jesus said it would happen and it is. Shouldn't freak you out. If you're a follower of Jesus, it just means we're just a little closer. Just a little closer. Here's the last one. Here's the best indicator of it all. 
I called it deliverance. Matthew 24, verses 30 and 31. I love this. When all of the indicators are there, the Bible says this will happen. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Okay, why are they mourning? Let me tell you why. Every one of us in this room are going to meet Jesus Christ and we're going to meet Him in one of two ways. You're either going to meet Him in His grace or you're going to meet Him in His justice. And you get to pick. When you meet Him in His grace, His love, mercy, and compassion covers you, delivers you, saves your soul and your eternity. When you meet Him in His justice, and this is what's coming in a couple of weeks, God does have a just side, just so we know. He has standards. He has opportunity for us to comply. This verse says there will come a moment, and if we meet God in His justice, the opportunity's gone. It's gone. And because people meet Him in His justice, the Word says that they're going to mourn. It's going to be that moment when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. Now, if you know Jesus, you're going to be able to fall to your knees and confess, I know that God. And He knows me. And now I get to go home. If you don't know Him, the Bible says that will be a mournful moment. Here's the good news. Not too late. Not too late. It says, when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and He will send His angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather His elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. There is coming a moment, believe it or not, when the God of heaven is going to crack the sky. And He's going to pull the skies backwards. He is going to come and He is going to gather those who have a personal, vibrant, loving relationship with Him. And if you know Jesus, that's nothing to be afraid of. I'm like, let's do it now. Today'd be a good day. A very good day. And let me tell you why. So this past week I got to be a pastor, which I love to do. And I stood with a young couple from Christ the King. They just miscarried their third child. And amidst the tears and the brokenness of this place, all I had to say to them was, Jesus, or God the Father, knows exactly what it feels like to lose a child. And I don't have any bumper sticker answers for you. But Jesus promised there would be a day when he would wipe all of our tears away and explain the reasons behind everything. And while I know your heart's broken now, just hold on to that promise. It'll at least get you through to tomorrow. See, we live in a broken world, but we hold the promise that the indicators are all there 
and it's getting closer. Here's good news for you. I've been preaching for about 28 minutes. If you don't get anything else, get this. We're 28 minutes closer now than we were at the beginning of this message to Jesus coming back. That's a good thing. Don't know when. Not picking a date. Not going to happen. Saw how that went for some other people. What I know is this. Jesus said the temple would be destroyed, and it was. Jesus said, here's the indicators. Don't freak out. Just relax. In fact, I can say this. If you know Jesus, there should have been no alarm going on whatsoever. If you don't know Christ, and your reaction and response was fear, here's what we need you to know. Today's the day. Today is the day for you to give your heart to Jesus Christ. The moment of salvation is now. Come to Him. and Become one of those who are going to meet Him in His grace and in His mercy. Not in His justice. Let's pray right now. Father God, I thank You for this moment and for my brothers and sisters. I pray that our pulse rate would not go out are up when we read these things. Instead, we would be encouraged because it just means we're getting closer as creation groans for its creator. I pray that we would feel a loving urgency to spread this gospel. Lord, thank you that the gospel is being distributed across the world. May we do our part. Father, for those who are here that don't know Jesus as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day when in a simple act of faith, they open their heart, their mind, their soul to you, and that they would receive forgiveness for the past, hope for the future. Lord, we love you. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We long for the day, but in the meantime, would you help us to be faithful with the amazing story of our Savior so that every person in Whatcom County can meet you in your grace and not your justice. And we pray these things in your precious Son's name. Amen.